Good morning. Glad to see some new faces and some old faces and all kinds of faces. Um, before I get started this morning, there's a few announcements, or a lot of announcements actually. Um, some of them didn't make it up on the screen, so just listen carefully. Um, let's see, Tuesday, this is the most exciting one of all the announcements. There's a business team meeting. 5.30, be there. Um, not sure if there's snacks, but come anyway. Um, Wednesday, we'll have uh, Scott Lamb leading Bible study. And then, that, and that starts at 6.30. Uh, next Sunday, Scott will come back and speak. And, uh, and also next Sunday, um, there will be a children's back-to-school party. And it's just for children. So parents, you know, you can sit and watch, but you can't participate. Um, but it is 5 to 7 next Sunday afternoon. Uh, and there will be sprinkler limbo, I'm told, a slip and slide, pizza, ice cream. Be sure to wear a couple different pairs of clothes so you don't soak your parents' cars. And let's see. And then the next week, we're having, uh, we're needing oatmeal cream pie donations for Grace Place. Uh, I saw some already back there, so don't be tempted to grab a box on your way out, because we need those. Um, but I think that is it. And uh, before we start worship today, I'd just like to welcome Leslie Lamb and her family. And uh, right now we got one lamb replacing another lamb, so we're kind of moving around. But uh, she'll be speaking today. She's with uh, Mercy Multiplied as well. It's a great, great ministry here and across the country and world. Um, one thing I would like to say as well about, about worshiping together and how important it is. I know there's several of you there on live stream this morning. Um, but just how important, how important it is to be present. To be here uh, with the group of believers. And just how encouraging that can be um, with everything going on especially. And uh, here's the deal I found. And it says... Worship is an exercise in call and response. And when you are worshiping together, we learn to respond to the scripture, the sermon, the prayers, the songs. That's not something you can do when you're off on your own by yourself. We respond to what God is saying to us, and that's a good discipline to learn together as a group of followers, Christ followers. And I'll follow that up with saying uh, Matthew 18:20. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Will you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. and uh, We thank you for everyone here. We welcome the guests. Um, and we just pray that, that uh, they're shown love today and throughout this week. And uh, that we go out after worship today and just uh, be a light for you. I just ask you to bless the worship today and uh, be in the midst, be in our midst. Amen. If you're able, why don't you stand with us as we begin singing, Build My Life. Listen to the words closely. Worthy of every song we can sing, worthy of every praise we could bring, and every breath that we breathe. i 
It just expresses how deep our Father's love is for us. Let's think about it this morning. comes up and speaks today I'd um, just like to uh, turn your attention to the prayer request and praises 
Um, we also are we're glad to have uh, Mamaw and Pebble back, a.k.a. Dale and Betty. They've uh, been having a tough few weeks, so we're thankful that they're back to worship with us. And... Uh, We're always praying, that's for sure. That's good. Thankful for y'all. Um, along with that, uh, Ken McConnell was just uh, diagnosed with COVID, but uh, I did talk to him, and he said he has no symptoms. Um, it's just the, uh, the combination of uh, chemo and everything that he's going through. It's just taking a toll on him. So thankful for that. He doesn't have uh, any symptoms. Um, along with that, Jerry Crane... Um, Quint Barber for the Powell family. Uh, seems like their whole family has just gotten the worst of it. So just pray for them that they can come out on the other side. And uh, obviously our students and teachers coming up, um, schools and everything, all the uh, the evil that's taking place there. And uh, just pray for the students and also the teachers that that they can have a healthy environment to to be educated in and not not a lot of uh, political things involved because I mean politics is pretty much involved in everything else so why should it be involved in education it's just a sad deal um, so just pray for that, that that things can be worked out there for the betterment of everyone uh, our churches our country for sure our world there's an evil across this world that it's uh, it's big, and up until a few years ago, I didn't really know how big it was, but we do know this, that our God is bigger, and uh, He, in the end, we know here on earth and in heaven that uh, it's going to work out for, for our good, and most of all, His good, so before Leslie comes up, will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for everyone here on the, on the prayer list, and uh, I also ask you to be with uh, a family friend of, um, of the Vickery's, Lord Carrie Howell. Uh, she's going through a rough, rough time, and uh, just ask you to bless her and heal her body, Lord, along with the many others on this list, and uh, any unspoken as well. And just ask you to, uh, to give them peace, Lord, to give them hope that, uh, that you're taking care of them, and and just let your will be done with everyone involved, Lord. We thank you. We love you. And uh, just praise you today. Amen. That's okay. just gives me another minute to get my stuff up. Uh, I am pleased to be here today. Um, it has been a hot minute since I have preached on a Sunday, but I am no stranger to sharing the Word of God. Um, I wanted to say I don't have notes for you guys to, to follow along on a PowerPoint, but that's okay because I encourage you to still take notes, the things that stand out to you, the scripture verses that I use, because I truly believe that we need to always read things in context. We really need to know the Word of God, not just hear the Word of God. 
Those who hear but don't do are separate from actually living out and applying the word of God, and we don't want to be those people. So I encourage you to write down what stands out to you. Look back over those scripture verses after you go home and throughout the week so that you can know for yourself what Holy Spirit is saying to you. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you. You have been a part of supporting Mercy for a really long time, and that has benefited so many more people than you even recognize. It benefited not only the young women that were a part of it, but it benefited their families and their future families too. So thank you. And please don't stop. Because though mercy has changed, we are making an impact. And that impact that we are making now actually impacts you. And I will talk to you more about that in just a minute. When praying about what I was going to share today, the Lord actually reminded me of a dream that I had about a month ago. So when I was asked to speak, I felt like the Lord had given me the word before I was asked for the invitation. And I love it when he does that. And the dream that I had was about uh, a man. And this man was haggard and homeless. Um, He was bitter and he was angry. And he was convinced that God didn't care about him. That it didn't matter what he did or what he said, that God was still separate from him. And I remember looking at this man in this dream and thinking, oh, brother, you have it wrong. And in the dream, I started drawing with a crayon a story of a shepherd and his sheep. And I kept going back to John 3, 16 and 17, where God tells us that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, not just to die for us, but to die for the world. And that his son wasn't sent to condemn or to judge us, but his son was sent so that we might be saved. And I drew a picture of this and I drew lines and circles and wrote out the verses to the side and I gave it to the man. And I said, dude, you gotta put this on your refrigerator. I know, it's so strange. I was like, you gotta put this on your refrigerator, but he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I felt like the Lord said to me, you put it on the refrigerator. And I remember like trying to find the right magnet to hold up this large piece of paper that had this cartoon on it with all of these lines and diagrams and drawings and John 3, 16, 17 written on the top of it. And I woke up from that dream and I was like, wow, that was bizarre. But then as I started to think about it throughout the rest of the day, I felt like the Lord was leading me to Luke 15, 1 through 7. So I want to read that with you. And I'm going to turn to pages so that it gives you guys time to turn to pages if you want to read along with me. So Luke 15, 1 through 7 says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I believe that the Lord was pointing out value before repentance. I think a lot of times what keeps people from hearing the gospel is they already believe they are disqualified. They have this perception that God came to, to save the believers, not the world. And we have to start shifting out of that because if we forever have a mentality of us versus them, we're not going to reach the people who need to be reached most of all. And I believe that what Jesus was showing me, not only through these verses, but also through that dream was, they discount themselves because they do not value themselves, but more than that, they do not see that I value them. And I, when I thought about that and I thought, well, but why did I put it on the refrigerator? Well, then the, the clarity of that came to me weeks later. What do we put on our refrigerators? The things that are beautiful to us, the things that are sentimental to us, the things that we don't want to forget. I remember so many times putting up pictures that my daughters had drawn or things that they had written and I put it up on the refrigerator because I didn't want to forget it and I wanted them to see this is valuable to me because you are valuable to me. I didn't even get that when I had the dream but as I began to pursue the Lord for the meaning it made so much sense. God wants us to put John 3, 16 and 17 on the refrigerators of our souls because he needs people to see that is my plan. That is the good news. And that is the gospel. And I think Jesus was saying the same thing. What we envision when Jesus says this, I have learned, is very different than what Jesus is actually saying. Because we think of sheep as dirty creatures. We think of sheep as, you know, I mean, I don't want to be a shepherd. That's kind of a hard job. I, I, would, I, I don't want to be in charge of keeping the sheep together and making sure that they're perfect for sacrifice. I don't want that job. But sheep were very valuable because they were living in a time where the sheep represented repentance. It wasn't just some animal that was kept and taken care of. It was an animal that God had already set apart to say, these are valuable. So when one of them went missing, this is the image that we get. Uh, a, a dirty sheep that is being bad, you know, the black sheep of the family, which of course it doesn't have that same connotation. Those are separate places where those two ideas come from, but that's the image that we get, that it's just a black sheep, that it's, it's just frolicked off and it didn't really care and it's just doing what we want it, what it wants to do and it's separate from the flock. But it's still valuable. It doesn't matter that it ran off, it's still a part 
of the flock. And Jesus was saying, look, you who are mocking the people that are with me, I want you to know they're just as valuable as you. And it matters to me that they're sitting with me. He was telling them their value is important and they have it, regardless of what you think or what you mutter. They are valuable to me. And it is through recognizing their value and choosing to sit with them that they will come to repentance. And when they come to repentance, it will be a beautiful thing that we can all celebrate. When people ask me all the time, mental health, where does mental health play in the gospel? Mental health is pivotal because our mental health was interrupted in Genesis. I want to go there for a minute, Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, he's already twisted it, any tree. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the tree in the, gar the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, we don't know if God actually said do not touch it, but we do know that he said do not eat. And he said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The first example of blame shifting, <laughs> right? <laughs> she told me to do it, so I did it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then we get the consequences of that choice. We aren't far removed. We're still eating from the tree of knowledge over the tree of life. We're still seeking for fig leaves to cover ourselves instead of being known and being exposed. We're still afraid that possibly God has not been honest with us and he's holding back something from us. We haven't changed that much. We have names for those things now. We have mental illnesses, we have addictions, we have self-preservation, but it's all the same temptation. And it's all the same answer 
life. We have this belief that our sin separates us from God. But the truth is, it's not our sin that separates us from God. It is the shame which we choose to live in which separates us from God. See, we hear that story, and we hear a story of abandonment. That God punished the people, and he sent them out of a good place. And we think God does the same thing with us. If I do what I shouldn't do, if I move towards something I shouldn't move toward, then God will abandon me. But brothers and sisters, I don't see that story. They exited the garden, but God went with them. We know that because years later, he's having a conversation with Cain and Abel that is very familiar. It wasn't just that Cain and Abel offered a sacrifice. It's that they offered a sacrifice understanding that there was someone who would receive it, who would be blessed by it, and who was doing life with them. The encounter that we see between Cain and between God is not one of, I don't know who you are, but it's one of familiarity. Adam and Eve might have left the garden, but God did not leave Adam and Eve. And I believe that that's the first example, the archetype of Christ, where God left what was good to meet us where we are. Sin doesn't separate us, shame does. Because shame isolates us. Shame isolates us from God and it isolates us from others because it deceives our perception. People ask me all the time, what is shame? Well, it's hard to put it in words. But the closest I could come to that is the belief that there is something wrong with me. That I haven't just done something wrong, but because I've done something wrong, then that makes me something wrong. And it's not just something we feel, it's actually a perception by which we see ourselves and other people. It's detrimental to our identity and it is destructive to our value. I see it all the time. But the good news is, is that cross, the cross and Jesus didn't come just to overcome death and sin, which he did, but also shame. Hebrews 12.2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And the cross represented everything that was despicable in that culture and he scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Scorn, that means contempt. That also means a, a dismissal so severe that it is unworthy of consideration. Jesus, in his love for us, endured shame to the point that it was unworthy of our consideration. Colossians 2.15 tells a similar story. 
Give me a minute. Okay. It says this. And having disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Another scripture verse says, he made a public shame of them. He shamed them. The very principalities and powers of this spiritual world, this very spirit of darkness which we feel so tangibly, it was put to shame on the cross. The very representation of shame absorbed shame so that it no longer penetrates. It doesn't have to. If we choose to align with shame, it is our choice. So that brings us back to the sheep. Why do sheep wander? That's important to know because they're not just wandering because they feel like I'm tired of the shepherd. So I'm moving away from the shepherd because he doesn't know what he's doing. Generally, sheep wander because they're thirsty or they're sick. Many references say that sheep know their shepherd's voice. It's not a distant, far-off thing that they're like, that might be my shepherd, it might not, unless they have got an infection. And then they can't hear clearly. So if the shepherd is calling out to them, they can't hear him call out to him because they do not recognize his voice. That is important to recognize and to know. They don't know the shepherd's voice, so they don't know to follow him back home. And they're thirsty. They're looking for something beyond what they have. It doesn't mean that we have an uncaring shepherd. It just means that what they need, they feel like they can't get in the environment that they're in. So they go looking for something that will satisfy their thirst. People are no different. That's also why we wander. We're thirsty. We're looking for something to satisfy a void inside of us. We're sick. We're unable to recognize our shepherd's voice. One, we probably don't think that he'd be willing to talk to us. I hear that many times. Or second, we've become so confused by what the world says, by what religion says, that we don't recognize his voice. We can't be sure, is that God I'm hearing or is that myself? Is that God I'm hearing or is that my father? Is that God I'm hearing or is that my abuser? They don't know. And so they're wandering. And it's really important that we recognize that. And I think that that's what Jesus was trying to say. Like, hey, don't judge them. Welcome them. Help them to realize that they're valuable and that me sitting with them isn't an anomaly. It should be the way that it is. But why does the shepherd put the sheep on his shoulders? Now, let me see. We, we generally see this and we see a picture of a small lamb, but he didn't say a lamb. He said a sheep. And sheep can get as large as 75 pounds. <laughs> that is not a small thing to carry a sheep on your shoulders. But the shepherd would do it 
because he needs to reacquaint the sheep with his tenderness. And he needs to reacquaint the sheep with his voice. That's an important thing to notice because when we recognize our position in Christ, that's what gives us the strength to return to the flock. That's what gives us the strength to rest in his voice, to know his voice. We need his shoulders. I need his shoulders. One of my favorite things, and I don't have this in my notes, so if I get it wrong, forgive me, but in the blessings that, that, that God is giving to the individual members of the tribe of Israel, he says of Benjamin that I would give you the ability to rest upon my shoulders. That is such a beautiful image. I would say, Lord, Lord, I know I'm the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> Because I like to rest on your shoulders. But that's what he wants us to be. And I really believe that that is part of our role as the church, is we really need to be more willing to help our brothers and sisters and the world carry the weight by reminding them of their value and sharing the voice of the shepherd with them. I went to Guatemala um, several years ago Goodness, I was trying to think like this 13 years ago, 14 years ago. I can't even remember. It was, it was a great time. I enjoyed it very much. And I was specifically in an orphanage, which was an orphanage of young girls who have been through horrific circumstances, horrific things that life had thrown at them. And they were young and they were older. And my heart was so grieved for them that I remember sitting in the window just a couple of days before having to return, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to come here. I don't want to leave. I want to teach them, and I want to show them the love of the Father, that they are not orphans in Christ, but they are adopted. I want to move my family here. I want them to see what this is and what you're doing in worlds outside of America. I want to help the blind see and I want to help the lame walk and I want to help the deaf hear. And I remember so distinctly the Lord saying, you will do all of that, but you will do it in America. And to say that I just brushed my little knees off and said, all right, Lord, let's go do it in America would be a false interpretation. I was like, oh Lord, America, <laughs> they're so selfish. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't understand. And the Lord said, that's exactly why I want you to go back there. Because they don't know that they can't hear. And they don't know that they can't see. And they don't know that they're lame. But they are. And I'm gonna show you who they are, and you're gonna teach them that in me they can walk here and see again. And we wrestled for a little while longer, but I did get back on the plane, much to my family's <laughs> probably joy. They didn't even know that that thing happened because the Lord was so distinct and no, you're going home. So I went home. 
And I went home and I started doing what I always did, which was writing and speaking, and I loved it. But always sitting with people with a new, new set of eyes. And the Lord started showing me young women that were all the things that he said they were, and yet they didn't know it. They just knew they had bad home life. They just knew that they got abused. They just knew and they didn't understand it, but that cutting themselves made them feel better. They just knew that it didn't matter if they didn't have friends, they would isolate because no one understood them anyway. And I started listening to their stories and I started asking God if I could be a part of their restoration. Because just sitting with them wasn't enough. I wanted to be putting them on his shoulders. And I wanted them to see that there's hope and there's healing. And so the Lord sent me to school to get my graduate degree, which I thought was impossible, but nothing is impossible with the Lord. And I started working at Mercy. And at Mercy, I met young women who were very aware that they were broken. They were very aware that things had gone off kilter in their life and they found themselves in a place of no other hope but to be in a residential facility so that they could learn differently. And we met them there and we loved it and they loved us. But the more we loved on them, the more we realized that we were sending them back to a church that was broken. And as much as we had encouraged them, girls, there's a community for you, a community of believers that want to help you and support you and love you. And we were disappointed and discouraged as time after time, they would find that the church was not as welcoming as mercy they would find the church was not as forgiving as they had learned Christ to be. And though we have a 94% success rate, which is amazing, our hearts still broke for the 6% that will fall away. And not just fall away, fall away hard some of them taking their lives because they found that the hope that they had lived for that could be found in a community of God wasn't there. And we started asking God, how do we help? What do we do? And I started praying individually, Lord, I love mercy and I love what I'm doing here, but there are broken in the church and there are people that need us and I want to be a part of that. And I remember sitting with my mentor and saying, you know what, I'm gonna set up a free of charge counseling service in my church as well as doing Mercy full time. I don't know how I'm gonna find the time, but I know that I've gotta do it because it's got to be done. And she said to me, Leslie, you can't possibly do that. You have daughters who love you and need you. You have a husband who loves you and needs you. You cannot work full time and have a ministry in your church full time like that. And I thought, well, surely, I mean, we have to sacrifice for the Lord. Like, I'm just gonna go sacrifice, it's gonna be okay. 
But I couldn't not hear what she said. And so I began to pray, okay, God, I love this woman. She's a woman of wisdom and I have to listen to what she said. And so I know that the desire of my heart has to come from you. So whatever that looks like in whatever season, I am open to it. I'll wait on you. And I did. And then in April of 2020, after our worlds had dramatically changed, Mercy called us in for a meeting, us counselors, and they said, you know what? We've really been praying about the gaps in our program. And we're really believing that God is sending us back home. And we were like, well, I remember the counselor sitting next to me was like, what are we doing? And my heart clenched. And I was like, Lord, they cannot surely be saying. And sure enough, they said, we're shutting down the residential facility so that we can work in our communities. <laughs> Lord, you heard me. You heard me. And he said, we're gonna reach into the churches. We're gonna reach into the very people that have supported us and we're gonna ask them, are there the broken among you? Can we meet you where you are? Can we remind you of the Father's heart? Can we reconnect you to hope and to purpose? And we just went forth with a vision. But everything in my spirit said, this is the vision of God. And I was so excited. I was so excited and then we were like, who's gonna come? <laughs> Here we've been doing this thing and of course you know we had all the work of transitioning all the residents and explaining to them like we're not abandoning you but we have a plan for you and God is still with you and working for you but this is where God is leading and finishing them off because miraculously there had been many that had been there for a long period of time and we were like where's their breakthrough Lord and then as soon as that announcement was made breakthrough came and girls that we thought would be in the program for another six months were suddenly so radically shifted that they were ready to graduate in three. And it was so beautiful as we saw the Lord go ahead of us and we saw him move them out with just as much care as he was moving a new vision in. And so then it was, who are, who, what churches are we gonna go to? Who are we gonna go to? So it started with just our voice and the people that we knew, hey, look, Mercy's doing a new thing. We're going to be reaching out to our community and we're offering free counseling for people that will come. Because in case you don't know, cost is the reason why most people don't seek help. Less than stigma and shame, cost is the reason why most people don't seek help. And we heard the Lord say, if you will bring them in, I will keep them coming. And boy, have we seen that. In September of 2020, we started with four clients. Less than a year later, we are meeting the needs of 40 clients with a waiting list 50 clients long. They are coming and they're not that different than you and I. Romans 12, 2 tells us this. 
Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Most people don't recognize and fear the will of God because they haven't had their minds renewed. Neurobiology tells us that the environments that we grow up in affect our minds tremendously. How I viewed my father and my mother in large part controls how I view God and his interactions with me. If I have conformed to a pattern of a world that has not been kind and not been gracious and not been merciful, or a world that was submerged in religion over relationship, then I do not understand that God's will could be pleasing and perfect. And that's what we're there to do. Help them to renew their mind. We're gathering the lost in our own church. And we're partnering with Jesus to bring them back home. I wanted to kind of give you an overview of what we do so that you can understand how we're bringing them back home. The first thing that we communicate to every client is commitment to Christ. If you don't understand what your relationship with Christ is, you cannot understand how Christ has already afforded your ransom. So we remind them of who he is and their value we remind them that, you know what, that thing that you said didn't matter has actually affected the way that you parent, the way that you lead in the church, the way that you feel about yourself, and the way that you judge the world around you. And we reconnect them to truth that says it's not for judgment that Christ set us free, but it is for freedom. Then we help them renew their mind by helping them to see what it is that they believe about themselves, about God, and about others. There are many things that we believe that are not true, but we believe them nonetheless. So we point them back to the word of God. I know you believe that, but what does God's word actually say? Because we do believe that the Bible is absolute authority on how we are to live and how we are to think and how we are to engage the world around us. Then we help them heal. We invite them to this process of recognizing, I know that you've been hurt. This is where we most look like Jesus putting the sheep on our shoulders. We recognize the hurts that have affected the way that they see themselves and the way that they see others. And we don't shame them, but we walk with them to understand, to remove that shame. We teach them that unlike Eve, we don't have to reach for wisdom because God is wisdom. And if we continue to seek God and pursue God, wisdom comes with God. He is not separate from that. And they heal and they recognize things that they didn't before and as they heal they're more able to see those who need healing it becomes less a conversation of judgment and more a conversation of empathy it's like jesus said 
Don't point out the speck in your brother's eye. First, remove the log from your own so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from his. The reason why so many of us are pointing out the speck in another person's eye is because we have lost sight of the log in our own, because we're not listening to our shepherd, because we haven't valued what he has to say about us. And judgment is reserved for somebody else who's doing wrong things. But God's word says that it is his kindness to us that corrects us and disciplines us. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And when we recognize that, we have no choice but to be kind to others who are hurting too. Choosing to forgive is a big one. Now, the world talks about forgiveness as a powerful part of healing. So that's got to mean something. Even the world recognizes if you harbor hate in your heart towards an individual, it will destroy your soul. But God says that too. Unless you forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And we're like, that doesn't sound very fair. But the imperative is to forgive. And we go through this process of accumulating hurts and accumulating bitterness. And that is what cripples us. That's what weakens us. But Jesus, in the same prayer that he taught the disciples that said, pray for your daily bread, also said, forgive your trespasses as you forgive those who trespass, well, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Daily. When we get in the process of sitting with our hurts, our offenses, our anger, before getting on Facebook or social media, we are more likely to see more clearly what is going on in my heart. More able to ask the question, who told you you were naked? Who told you that they're the enemy? Who told you that you should be ashamed of yourself? Who told you? And then generational patterns. Because what happens through us didn't just happen by us. Unfortunately, we grew up in families that were broken, where even in doing their best, their best is still not good enough. We grew up in families where alcoholism was excused or swept under the rug, and so we wonder why it is that I want to rush to alcohol when I'm feeling upset or afraid or lonely. We excuse things like overeating or undereating. We excuse things like overexercise or underexercise. We excuse self-sufficiency, which is a form of pride, instead of normalizing dependency on God, who is our protector and our defender. So we give our clients the ability to recognize these were the patterns that you grew up in, but this is the pattern of God. This is the way God would have us live and how God would have us see the world. And now that you know that, you're more able to identify those negative patterns that have caused destruction in your life and accept these patterns that lead to life and wholeness. And sometimes that's mind-blowing to them because they never realized how they're just like the parent they never wanted to be like. And then freedom from oppression. 
This is powerful. It's recognizing that our position is what gives us authority. If I know that I am the heir of Christ and the adopted one of God, then I'm not fretting about what the enemy is bringing forth. I am not afraid of what the enemy wants to do to me because I am positioned on my father's shoulders. And he has said, you're mine. And there's no weapon formed against you. And no thing can come against you because I am for you. And once we recognize that, our fear of the enemy and our temptation towards what he would have us do becomes less because we're able to recognize it. We've asked the question, who told you that? And the answer has come back, the enemy. And so that I need to position my belief system with what God says instead of what the enemy has said. So why? Why does that matter to you? Well, the last thing that we talk about, which God slowly weaves and mends all the time, is this. We're created for purpose and passion. Our pastor says this all the time, and I love it. God created us because he loves us, and he loves us because he created us. We live in a world that believes it has to earn love. And if you're not doing the right thing, then love is detached from you. But God's word does not say that. In fact, we're told that nothing separates us from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor what is, nor what is to come. That is the beauty of God's love. It is far-reaching beyond our shame, the way we view ourselves, or the way that we view others. Restored people want to see others restored. And that's the beauty of what we're seeing in coming back home. Because these women who are graduating our program are not just graduating our program feeling better about themselves. They're graduating our program and they're reaching their hand back to the ones they recognize also need help. But they're doing more than that. They're getting involved. Have you ever sat and wondered, Lord, where is the church? Where is the church in the homeless community? Where is the church with women who are, find themselves pregnant unexpectedly? Where is the church with alcoholics? Where is the church with addicts? And we are seeing them return to the very flock that they were once separate from. And they're recognizing, you know what? Not only has God healed me, to make my life better, but he's healed me so that I can go and find the lost. And they're doing that. I don't have any numbers, but I would be so curious about the numbers of involvement that has increased in our organizations since we opened. Because I know for a fact, I have women who are going into homeless shelters. I have women who are volunteering at Life Choices. I have women who are volunteering um, at animal shelters. I have women who are volunteering with feeding the homeless. I have women who are volunteering at AA. I have women who are volunteering at their churches to lead children so that they can help the children to see their value before it's lost. This is our community that's being impacted. So don't stop supporting mercy. 
we still need that help. We still need you guys to recognize the need in your community and to see that not only are you meeting the needs of your community, but very likely those same needs are going to meet yours one day or your children or your children's children. What's beautiful is we have seen women who have given to mercy for years and years and years. And they're also receiving their healing. They invested in a ministry that could not benefit them. And yet God in his mercy is seeing to benefit them. He's telling them, I saw that blessing and I'm blessing you in return. That's beautiful. You know, we would sit with women all the time and be like, I wish I could talk to her grandmother. <laughs> or I wish I could talk to her mother. I wish that I could minister to her mother because her mother is so broken. And now we do. We see daughters and mothers and grandmothers because not only did we open mercy to the community, but we opened mercy 13 and above. And it's making a difference. And I believe it's gonna to continue to make a difference. And if any of you are in here and you're like, man, I wish I could go to Mercy, sign up. Because we might have a waiting list, but I promise you we pray over every name and we allow the Lord to order who comes and who doesn't at the time that he's appointed. And we're here and we're here in your community and we have been for over 30 years and we're still pouring out and we're still doing what we can to further the kingdom of God. And we are so grateful for those of you who are partnering with us. I'm grateful not only as an employee of mercy, I am grateful as a child of God. I am grateful as your sister in Christ. I am grateful as one of the sheep that had to be brought back home. And I just wanna encourage you, if any of you are listening to this and you realize like maybe I'm that sheep, Maybe I don't recognize my value. Maybe I'm quicker to align myself with tax collectors and sinners and see that God sits apart from me instead of with me. As we close today, I wanna to encourage you. He sees you. You're not separate from him. Our God who created you is still engaged with you. You matter to him. He values you, and you can come back home. Let's close in prayer. Daddy God, I am so grateful that you know what we need even before we speak it. I am so grateful that we might not be able to see the beginning to the end, but you do. I am so grateful that in a world that is riddled with shame and fear, you are speaking to us, be not afraid, be bold, be courageous. And God, I pray that you would implant that in our hearts and in our souls to remind us each and every day, I have placed you here and I love you. And I'm not just telling you to serve, I'm partnering with you in that service. God, thank you for loving us so well. And I just pray that your kingdom come and your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Won't you stand with us, please? <clears throat> as we sing, blessed be the tie that binds. multiplied um, and we uh, we as a church enjoy giving probably more than we do getting which is probably well that's probably the healthy thing to be as a church I would guess um, but here is a check for mercy multiplied for $500 um, we we enjoy seeing what y'all are doing here and, you know what y'all are doing in the in the community and we're thankful for y'all so here you are thank y'all so much um, also, over here. Um, if y'all would like to, if y'all would like to come up here, and uh, we'll just pray over Leslie and uh, and the ministry as well. Whoever would like to come up, or if you'd just like to stay in your pew. Alrighty, watch out. Dear Lord, we uh, we thank you for Leslie, Lord, and we we thank you so much for the ministry that's mercy multiplied, and uh, we're thankful for everything you're doing with them and through them and just all the lives you've touched um, and will touch in the future. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We just ask you to be with everyone throughout this week and put your healing hand on them. Amen. <laughs> 